Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. First Corinthians 6, verse number 12, the Bible says, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. This evening I'd like to teach along this line the principle of freedom the principle of freedom help me pray right now Lord Jesus we come to you God we are in all of your spirit and presence God we're thankful for every time that we come here God that we can meet you here God that we can have a certain mode of interaction God that takes place Lord between you and your people God I'm grateful today for that I pray Lord you'd anoint our minds and our hearts Help us, Lord, as we delve into this word that we would, Lord, exercise it in our lives. I pray, Lord, bring every mind into, Lord, obedience to the spirit of the Lord, God, everything that may distract the individual, that we could pull that in for perhaps the next 45 minutes, Lord, and be able to give of ourselves and to you of our time and our attention, God, that you could touch us afresh, Lord, by this word. We'll thank you and we'll praise you for it in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Everybody say amen. 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 You may be seated. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. The Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church, the church at Corinth. He is writing one of his several epistles as he did in correspondence to the churches of that day that uh, he would correspond with them many times after having set them up uh, with leadership and government over that church many times he went back around and revisited some of those churches that he established but regardless he would have correspondence with them particularly uh, whenever he was in prison and unable to physically go there he would have uh, correspondence by epistle or letter and he is speaking to Uh, the Corinthian church and the Corinthian church is just indicative of of a church the Corinthian church is just indicative of a church because they had certain elements about them that was just like Paul being caught up into the third heaven and there were other elements about them that were very base you might even say somewhat degrading but they were just a church just as we are a church because of the location and the place of Corinth Paul went in in establishing this church with his letters and his writings as anybody that would come to know the Lord after having lived whatever type of life up until that point in time they enter then into a relationship with God with a lot of baggage that's behind them Uh, it it, it isn't as some may perceive that uh, you get born again of the water of the spirit and you repent of your sins and then 
everything that you have lived from that juncture in the road backward just all of a sudden, bloop, it disappears or no longer troubles you. Or no longer tries to have a foothold in your life. There is still a lot of things to be worked through that's ahead of you. And so the Corinthian church is no different uh, than our real day and age life of coming to know the Lord that whenever we come to Him, we're, we're dragging a lot of baggage of who we once were behind us into this. And so with that, there were some issues that came up and issues that had to be faced for. One thing, some of the things that you see discussed in the Corinthian scriptures is uh, the, the Corinthians had this problem about sacrificing the idols. Well, well, here they are, you know, uh, saved, glorified, and purified by the Spirit of the Lord, but they're still going to have to deal with that old lifestyle of having sacrificed idols. Or, Sister Craig, the, the lifestyle uh, of going to the market and buying meat that had been offered to an idol. Because, see, because it was customary in Corinth that whenever they offered their sacrifice to their idol, their idol didn't get all the sacrifice. It wasn't a total consumption. And so what they would do, they would keep back a portion of the sacrifice, and they would go out to these marketplaces, and they would sell it to them, and then that person would sell it for a real good price. And people would buy it, take it home to their families, and they were eating, and unbeknownst to them even sometimes, that was a, a piece of meat that was offered to some idol. And then there was, they had these problems, and you can see it through Scripture even in, in chapter number 6, uh, it seemed like uh, there was a group of people, or at least it was in Corinth like this. In Corinth, it was like, it was a very busy place of commerce. Uh, it was a little peninsula that was actually there. And so they had a lot of trade that came from the east and went to the west along the, the water and vice versa. And north and south, there was travel commerce. And so this was a very, very busy place. And as a result of all this commerce and business, a lot of times men were uh, going to court and having lawsuits against their fellow men. The Lord was admonishing them against that, that these are things that they need to take place uh, within the church, you know, because the, 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 the people in the body of Christ are going to be ones that's even going to judge the angels, he said, the scripture said. So, so you need to take care of some of these matters uh, within the church, but they were uh, lawsuit just, just, just quick and crazy and ready to just always do this. But this is something that they brought from their own lifestyle. These were some issues. And then there was uh, among the Corinthians, this is probably their biggest hang-up of all things, the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church that lacked in no gift. Amen. When you talk about the nine spiritual gifts, they didn't lack in any of those gifts. They still had a lot of issues, though, to deal with from their past. And the great thing that they had an issue with was sexual immorality at Corinth. Because there at Corinth, they had the temple to Aphrodite, who's the God of love, the God of sexual pleasure. And they would go and do their religious service by going up to a temple that held about 1,000 priestesses. And they would go up there and they'd lay with these priestesses. And there was prostitution taking place. But that was all a part of their religion and their worship. So it was going to be very hard for them to found in a relationship with God. Born again, blood bought. But whenever that had become commonplace in your history. Amen. Now, I know today maybe, maybe we don't have a temple around here on some high hill that people go up to and there's prostitution taking place up there and everybody in Mount Carmel's been exposed to that. So when they come to the First Apostolic Church, get born again of the water and the Spirit, they're not dealing with that. But we have our issues too. Amen. 
It might not be some, it might not be some temple, but there's people that come in these doors, born again of the water and the spirit. God touches their life. Amen. Washes them and makes them clean. But they brought some addictions in with them. Amen. Very real. Tobacco addictions, alcoholics, prescription drug users. Amen. And it'd be wonderful. There are some that have the reports. Whenever God came into my life, man, I set that stuff down and never had any problem over again. But all the story isn't as that story. There's people that go five years in their journey of trying to live for God and they're dragging some of that baggage behind them. Real critical issues to be dealt with. So here is a newly established church that the apostle Paul has helped establish and they're dealing with some horrid issues. And yes, they have been born by the water. Yes, they have been born by the Spirit, but they're still contending with some old ways of life. Is there anybody here that would just like to admit tonight, hey, I'm still contending with some old ways of life. I'll raise my hand. Amen. There's still some issues that want to try to creep in. See, because whenever we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, we receive a perfect spirit. But this perfect spirit is still encased in an imperfect body. Amen. For that matter, we will not receive a glorified body until rapture day. I won't receive a glorified body until rapture day. But, listen now, that does not keep me from glorifying God in my body. So I'm not going to get a totally translated glorified body till rapture day, but that doesn't keep me from striving for glorifying God while I'm living in this imperfect casing because regardless, there's still a perfect spirit that resides in our body that's not a glorified body yet, but is inhabited by a perfect spirit. I tell you how. It's by virtue of allowing that perfect spirit to influence and control that imperfect body. It's by allowing the imperfect body to become a servant, if you will, to the perfect spirit that you have received. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, He says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I like that. If you'll allow me to go on to Galatians 3.27, along with this, Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. So, if any man be in Christ, the first scripture told us, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So if you are in Christ, it's because you have put on Christ by being baptized into Christ. And in this moment, or in that moment, old things are passed away. Or may I say it like this, 
actions and inactions of the past cease to exist at that moment of being in Christ. Those past actions, things that have already been committed, things that have already been done. If I could say it for the Corinthian church, the man that came to be in Christ, those 452 times that he went to the temple and laid with a lady, the moment he came in Christ, those 452 times are gone. But he still has the temptation, the calling, the vine for the attention, the tendency and propensity toward that direction because that is what has become customary in his life. But rest assured, when you get in Christ, that point backward, all the actions, everything committed, gone. Man, this is, the, this is the eraser on the slate in the classroom that takes away all the figures and all the chalk and it's just laying as dust. You cannot assemble it, put it back together. It is seemingly, seemingly gone. A clean slate. However, whenever we begin to talk about things, all things are become new. There's two different ideas here. All things are passed away. They're done away with. The past, the actions, everything that's committed, boom, done. But all things become new. It's not all of a sudden, boom, there they are. But all things are become new. A cultivation, a sprouting, if you will, of new things. It is a process. As a matter of fact, the words are become, in the Greek, it says this, is a prolongation and middle voice form of a primary verb that means to become or come into being, to be brought to pass and grow. I'm sure any farmer would love to be able to go plant his crop this spring, or he could even do it later, and plant it, and whoop, there it is. But it has to have time to grow. And growing is, sometimes it breaks the ground before you ever even see it comes up. And then there's a little green sprout. And then it gets taller and taller and it gets fuller and fuller. It's not something that takes place overnight. It's a process of time. And so whenever we come into Christ, I like this. I really love this. This shows the graciousness, the long-suffering, the forbearance of God. Because whenever we come in Christ, all the inactions and actions that we committed in the past, they're gone. But now he gives us grace and mercy to recultivate, rewire our life, amen, on a process-by-process daily journey to become better and better new in him. Someone say amen. So I think that's great concerning our Savior and Lord. So Paul, in the New Testament Scripture, he is a preacher, if you will, about this newfound freedom that you have in Christ. Man, it's a newfound freedom you have in Christ. Because a lot of the old uh, people, the old past, were still all in the law. Whenever I'm speaking of law, I'm talking about uh, uh, the ordinances and, and everything that you had to do as far as, as the ordinances and the preparations and, and in order to make a sacrifice and all these different things. He says, he says, hey, you've been made free from all these 
ordinances. There's one sacrifice that has been made now that's taking care of all the sacrifices that has ever had to be made. He says, so that all of that is done away with. You have a new freedom in Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, in Galatians 5, Paul says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. He says, you, you've been made free by Christ. You have a newfound liberty because of the Lord. Your past is gone. You have a newfound liberty in Christ the Lord now. He said in verse 13, he said, for brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. You're free. You're made free. You're not captive. You're not bound. You have been made free, amen, from sin. You're free from sin now. You're not bound to it. You're not a prisoner of it. You don't have to answer to it. You've been made free from sin. He said, you're not under the law anymore. You are now under grace because by grace are you saved through faith. He said, that's great. That's tremendous. As a matter of fact, he said, I want to underscore the idea for you that Christ died for every sin that she ever committed. He did that. You've been made free. You've been liberated, hallelujah, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's true freedom. Thank God for it. But, while he's capitalizing on this idea of being free in Christ, grace can be turned to disgrace. He's talking about freedom in Christ and the Corinthian people. I mean, they're just new babes. They just came with a lot of baggage. But wouldn't it be great Understand the mindset here. Wouldn't it be great all those past things taken care of, yet still be able to do them because I'm made free in Christ Jesus. And he died for it anyway. And so, really, I can continue doing what I'm doing and he'll just keep forgiving and forgiving. Man, I got freedom in Christ. Corinthian church started using their freedom in Christ kind of like an excuse for their actions. A license for their sin. We can do whatever we want to do and then we can repent because Christ died for our sins. Paul said we had freedom in Christ. <laughs> oh, Lord, help us. Matthew 1, 21. Whenever the angel of the Lord had come to the couple and came to Joseph came to Mary, came to Joseph and spoke to Joseph, Matthew 1, 21. And it said unto him, and she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He shall save his people from his sins. Jesus, I, I want you to understand this. I hope someone can grab a hold of what I'm saying right here. He said that Jesus is going to come for the purpose of saving his people from their sins, not saving them in their sins. Amen. The word from is a participle. It's the Greek word that means off. Going to save them off their sins. Or away from something near. He's going to save them away from their sins. Or in composition, if you look at the word from, it also denotes separation, departure, cessation. He's going to save his people, if you will. He's going to separate them from those sins. He's going to cause those people to depart from their sins. It's not that you keep doing everything that you did and you do it all underneath this umbrella of grace and it's okay. That's wrong. That's a misconstrued misunderstanding of the freedom that Christ has given 
you and I. Amen. In verse number 12, look at this now. In verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 6. So what's going on here in verse number 12, amen, is that the Corinthian church are, is either misrepresenting what Paul's message of freedom was really all about, or that they've just used a little phrase now that all things are lawful to use that as an excuse to do whatever they want to do. Someone say amen. amen. If I can read it from the Living Bible, that same verse, it says, I can do anything I want to if Christ has not said no. But some of these things aren't good for me. Even if I'm allowed to do them, I'll refuse to if I think they might get such a grip on me that I can't easily stop when I want to. God throughout his word and for our individual lives tries to move us as newborn babes into maturity with the Lord and to grow and become a little bit more mature. And doing that, he tries to move us from the idea of a precept relationship to a principle relationship. Because with our kids, it's all about precepts, rules and regulations. They don't yet catch the principle ideas. The general flavor or meaning. So you got to be really straightforward in laying out the principles. Amen. The principle of the matter. So I, I've, I've done this probably with my kids. And, and whenever Paul, he's talking to the Corinthian church as kids. Because he said, whenever I come to you, he said, I didn't come to you as spiritual. I came to you as carnal. He said, as babes. He said, I speak unto you. Because kids are really good about needing a dozen or maybe two dozen uh, rules in order to accomplish a task or maybe in order to validate a promise in other words what I'm saying is this I could just gently say here is the rule here is the precept we will read this book when your room gets clean well huh, I didn't I wasn't really quite detailed enough because me just saying we will read this book when your room is clean what happens is this they poke around they play with a few toys along the journey they even get some out that wasn't out before and right before it's bedtime or right around that time whenever you say you better be finishing up they start collecting things together hey man and then now all of this might be clean but it's bedtime now and for me, I say this. Hey, we can't read a book. Because now it's time to go to bed. But the child says, hey, you said, listen to me now. You said that we would read a book when I got the room clean. Now this is the way it was with kids. They don't care what time it is. The rule said... We will read the book when the room gets off. I finished it at 2 o'clock in the morning. When the room is clean, the book's going to be read. And I say, yeah, but now it's time for bed. We can't. And they spout off and say, you lied to me.
Oh, God, I'm starting to feel the Holy Ghost come on just a little bit. And I'm not joking either. Because, see, in order to make this thing clean, to protect my promise, to validate it, to accomplish the deed, I would have to lay down rule, 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 rule. All with just this simple little idea right here. I'd have to lay down several rules in order to safeguard what I said so that they will not try to say, hey, you said this. In other words, they need a whole lot more rules in order to abide. Okay, let me... I would have to revise my precept, see. And this is by no means all-inclusive right here. We could add more. We will read this book when you clean your room all by yourself without anyone else helping and place everything in its rightful place and not just hid out of a sight. And if it isn't time for bed yet, after you do all the nightly preparations for bed, like brushing your teeth, putting your pajamas on, taking your medicine, then we'll read the book. See, to the kid, you got to give every little detail because they're going to flirt if there's not something black and white that says do this or don't do that. But somebody that's matured, somebody that's matured of teenage years, you can say anything else. Hey, you can have a piece of chocolate cake when the room gets clean. And you don't have to tell them that's all got to happen before bed. Okay. Someone's disagreeing, aren't they? What I'm saying is you can... I'm sorry you have that kid. I'm just saying you can lay out a principle there. Just a little general meaning. And they know already laced within the principle. There are some other things that are unspoken that they need to abide by. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, if we would write down every rule or regulation of what you can, what you can't do, what's pleasing to God, what's not pleasing to God, you would not be able to carry the Bible you hold in your hand. If we would take the whole mind and the will of God and expose it in written letter, you would not be able to carry the Bible in your hand. And I am not refuting tonight. There are plain precepts in this word. There are some black and white, this is how it should be done, why it should be done, when it should be done scenarios. But there are also a whole lot more principles than there are precepts. And the principles give a general meaning that somebody of maturity should be able to grab a hold of and say, I know how to walk, I know how to talk, I know how to live by the general principle. You don't, have to, you don't have to cross every T and dot every I and let every syllable be sounded for the rule. Just give me the general. Someone say amen. Precept. I'm trying to... Precept. Do not cross the road unless the walk sign is lit. Now imagine approaching the intersection where no walk sign. What's that? 
Well, I guess one could eternally stay at an intersection on the opposite side of the road. As they said, do not cross the road unless the walk sign is lit. They'll stand there till the Department of Transportation, I guess, erects one on the corner there. If they're just going to abide by that. But in essence, I think a little bit the principle underlining is this. Do not cross the road without first pausing, looking both ways, and then proceed with caution. Now maybe somebody gullible, or a kid's going to, if they haven't really ingrained in them, is going to stand there until there's a light put up. But somebody that's a little older understands the principle of the matter. Amen? So I don't want a manual that's as big as 10,000 family Bibles to carry around. Amen? I want a book with all these specific rules and regulations. Just help me get into relationship and follow a general, a general principle. I'd say it like this, and I've touched upon this before, but bring it to our mind again. A precept is a specific rule prescribing a certain action under certain circumstances. However, a principle is a general guideline intended to result in different actions under a variety of circumstances. The precept has a specific action that is prohibited, but the principle has a general course of action that is prescribed. Precepts direct our actions in particular, but principles guide our conduct in general. Amen. And so if you'll allow me now to read 1 Corinthians 6.12 from the Amplified Bible. He said, everything is permissible, allowable, and lawful for me. But not all things are helpful, good for me to do, expedient, and profitable when considered with other things. Everything is lawful for me, but I will not become the slave of anything or be brought under its power. So here is the mode of proper administration in our lives. The question you need to ask concerning your deed or action is this. Is it lawful? In God's word, is there a precept that is absolutely against and prohibiting? what I'm about ready to do. Amen? If so, don't do it. But, and there are places like this. What the Bible doesn't say, so on and so forth. Because there are literal places, the Bible doesn't say black and white, thou shalt not, whatever. You could probably fill in the blank. I've had the question, where does it say in the Bible? I know a lot of times we say we give them chapter and verse, but there's not chapter and verse in detail about thou shalt not do. There's principles, but not always a black and white rule. There's a principle that's painting a general thing, but not necessarily an exact rule. So if it's, if it's, if it's not lawful, then don't do it. But what about if it's lawful? It doesn't give me an exact precept. Then I ask you this. Is there a principle found in God's word to help guide your conduct? Secondly, if it is lawful, if it passed test number one, and it passed test number two, and it is lawful, the next question you need to ask yourself, 
is it expedient? In other words, is it beneficial? Someone say amen. amen. Is it beneficial to my relationship with the Lord? Is it profitable to my relationship with God? And number four, or if I practice this or if I do that, is there a possibility that that will become my master rather than he being my master? Because no man can serve two masters. Well, I'm telling you, something may be absolutely lawful, but it might not be profitable or beneficial to your walk in relationship with God. There, there might not be a black and white sentence there, but that thing makes somewhere along the journey, the thing that you, had, you thought you had control over starts controlling your life and dictating your life and becomes your master. So whether or not something is legal, that's not the only test a Christian should apply to our behavior. John Calvin one time said it like this. He said, people take custom for law. There was a lot spoken in just those few words. People take custom for law. It happened in Jesus' day. Their traditions, their customs had become valued more to them than what even his words and word was to them. Their custom. Let me throw out there a for instance for today. I don't know, maybe I'm walking a tightrope tonight. Their custom had become law. Oh God, you're going to help me right here. See, there's things that happen in society now that of course wouldn't have happened 50 years ago. But they're happening now and they're happening frequent. And it is the theme then of a society to support those ideas and those things that are taking place. And if we don't watch it because it's customary for our era, the church will adopt it as well as just a law. And please, I am sensitive tonight. I am sensitive, amen, to the needs. And I know things have happened, amen, in people's lives. But this, this, this marriage being between one male and one female, and they coming together and being made one flesh is absolutely biblical. Because I decree, and I told my wife the other day, I said, there will be a day somewhere in the future Hear me now. There'll be a day somewhere in the future. I believe the majority will not reflect that. That there'll be more same-sex marriages than there is opposite-sex marriages. But just because that might become customary for that hour and customary for that day does by no means make it law. I mean, just because everybody else is seeing the new chick flick that has a bunch of vulgarity and profanity and nudity in it because it's the thing going and it's customary to do for our young people, that doesn't make it law for a child of God. 
Revelation that when you're in Rome, you do as Rome. So the right question to ask is not this question. The question is not, do I have the right to do this? Because that's the question that oftentimes comes to these guys. Huh. Do I have the right to do this? Honey, you could still, by all categories, I'm not finding line and verse in the exact verbiage, by all means consider it lawful. But it still might not be beneficial or profitable unto you. The question that needs to be asked is, is this beneficial to me? And the other question that needs to be asked, is there a possibility of this thing becoming my master? You ask anybody that's addicted to something, some might be able to say, yeah, I am. But the others will say, I have control over this. I can stop anytime I want to. You know, I just have a little bit of this and that on the weekend. You know, I drink hard liquor here and there and so on and so forth. And he does it every weekend. I can stop this anytime I want to. But there's always a little designated part of that paycheck that's got to go toward that. <laughs> you ask anybody that maybe molested a child that's in prison today whose start was in pornography. And they say it was innocent, it was just one look. And that one look in a Sears catalog went to a look along the newspaper stands where the milk is in the gas station. Went to slipping up to free sites on the internet or on iPads or iPhones. Uh -huh. That shut yourself in your room and isolated yourself from people and you just told mom and dad you need some time by yourself but you was really doing something. And you told yourself it'll all disappear whenever marriage comes because I'm going to be satisfied then? No, because you already corrupted something. You already made something that God ordained as pleasing something else to be pleasing yourself. And whenever all this starts to happen, ladies and gentlemen, we think it's very innocent. It's even kind of funny because that's a good way to bring something into your life if you can call it humorous. Because bring a sitcom that shows the father some blabbering fool and the mother intelligent and the kids ruling the roost and they have these little snap comments and it's funny and you're inviting that in your home. And it's great for some ladies on Desperate Housewives to sit around with their martinis and talk about the next person that they're going to get in bed with. Hey, that's a little bit funny. What are you inviting in your home? It might seem like no big deal till you find yourself in a divorce court and realize, hey, this thing mastered me. Say, Brother McGee, well, those are big things. It'd be simple things. I know. <laughs> Man, I'm probably... Someone's going to label me as a legalist tonight, all right, before it's all said and done. She's going to label me as a legalist. But if so, you misunderstood. It can be simple this. I'm telling you, it can be. 
You faithfully read your newspaper? Anybody just like to sit down with a cup of coffee and read their newspaper in the morning? Or whatever? Faithfully read your newspaper, but you can't faithfully read your Bible? That become your master? Uh-huh. Find time for whatever. And I'm not against leisure, man. I'd like to have a little bit more of it. Find time to fish. Find time to golf. Find time to do this. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Find time to do my hobby. Forsake myself, though, to the assembling of the house of the Lord. Nothing wrong with leisure. But it can't be your master. There can only be one master at a time. Whenever the man was walking around, he was casting out devils on the stuff, and the disciples got in an irate and kind of upset. Said, Lord, this man just cast out devils in your name. He said, What's the big deal? <laughs> if he's for me, that means he's not against me. And the inverse is the same. If you're against him, woo, let me go on. I better go on. We'll be in trouble tonight. Hallelujah. Look now. Here's the standard that's clearly stated by Paul. He said, all things are not expedient. All lawful things. Can I even put it in that terminology? All lawful things are not expedient, profitable for me or others. And that's important. It's not even sometimes in so much, is it benefiting to you, but is it even benefiting to anybody around you? What's it doing for your family? So the question then goes, then how does one know whether it's profitable or unprofitable? By that last statement that we've been concentrating on a little bit. What clarifies the matter is, I will not be brought under the power of any. If it's something that you can have a part of your life that isn't unlawful, it's benefiting and even profitable, and it's not going to cause you to be brought under the power of it, go for it. But if anywhere in that mode of administration for our lives, there's an X, a uh-oh, then you better uh-oh away from it. Yeah. Let me even say this. If you have any doubts about classification, the last classification about whether or not you may or may not become the servant of it, I think I would, st- I think I would rather chance never going that route and finding out Than going and finding myself in a snap through that I can't get myself out of. A man is brought under the power of anything which he cannot give up. Somebody hear me? A man is brought under the power of anything which he cannot give up. And I understand there's episodes of time concerning people's progression. But if there's something that just goes on that it seems like you just can never give that up, 
man, I'm being strong tonight. I really didn't intend this, folks. If you come somewhere along the way and there's just something that you just can't seem to never give up, then you have not given it its rejection notice of being your master yet. We might need a service around here where we can hang signs across some of our necks and say we're under new management. Amen. <laughs> Someone say amen. So whenever, whenever you're brought under the power of anything that you can't give up, you're a slave to that thing. You're at its beck and call. You'll do what for it what you won't do for God. And that prolonged time of not being able to relinquish it, that thing then, then becomes a sin to you. Listen, so we have this idea, man, I want true freedom. Woo! Let me tell you something. True freedom is with restraints. True freedom is with restraints. Romans chapter 6. I'm hurrying, folks. I really, I'm going to bring it to a close. Amen. We'll pass out band-aids as you leave the door. Amen. Romans 6, 16. Know ye not? That to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or, look now, or of obedience unto righteousness. So if you're, if you're given obedience to something of the more baser sort, then you're servant to that. But if you're given obedience to something of a more righteous sort, you are a servant and bound to that. But God be thanked, verse 17, but God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from, there's that word from again, not free in, but being made free from sin, ye became the servants. In other words, you're still bound. I know everybody gets a headache over the apostolic speak. Oh, bless God, they're in bondage, all that. Let me tell you, you're in the world, you're bound. You're in the church, you're bound. You live this life, you're bound. It's just all about what you're bound to. You're still a servant. You're in the world, you're a servant. You're in the church, you're a servant. You're still in bondage. It's all according to what you're bound to. I must be bound to the creator and bound to the maker, the lover, the peacemaker. So don't go on telling yourself, well, bless God, I'm free. You're not free. You're smoking weed. That's what you're doing because you're still just as bound as you ever was. You just changed who you were bound to. You better believe it. I can do what I want, praise the Lord. I can go do what I want. Man, I, I can drink, I can smoke, and I can cuss, and I can fornicate. I can do whatever I want. You're bound. Because there is a sinister spirit that's leading you down those roads. And you're walking headlong into them. You thought it was your idea. It's not your idea. It's a spiritual world, folks. 
And it is the idea of your adversary for you to do those things. But whenever you come to church and you praise and worship God and lift up hands, you're bound. Yeah, I am. I'm bound to God. And my actions, my deeds, my morals, the way of my activity, my commitment, it's all due because I'm a servant of God. I'm no different than, than the one outside in the world. He's a servant as I'm a servant. It's just who our master is. True freedom is with constraints. The Genesis account. Eat of every tree of the garden. Except that which is in the midst of the garden. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. That there, ladies and gentlemen, was a sentence of true freedom. Because true freedom is with restraints. Watch me right now. But... The enemy speaks into their life and it gets in their crawl. We want true freedom. They didn't realize they already had it. Boy, they need to, you need to grab a hold of what you have. Didn't realize they really had it. <laughs> so in order to do so, we're going to remove the restraint of not being able to eat of the tree in the midst of the garden. Then we'll have some true freedom around here. You remove the restraint of being able to eat the tree in the midst of the garden. And they came under bondage by virtue of being cast out of the garden altogether. Now they don't have access to any tree. What they thought was true freedom was being just thrown out away from everything that God was able to give to them. True freedom, it says you can have all of this, but you have safeguarding that. I'm safeguarding that. I'm safeguarding that. And whenever you want what God's trying to safeguard, you're going to put your life in captivity and not have access to any of it. True freedom is with restraint. Daddy, I want to play in the front yard. I don't have a fence in the front yard. I do have a road that has vehicles. And if they're going along there quick enough, they act as a fence. Huh. Electric fence. <laughs> you can play in the yard all you want to. Up front. As long as you don't step off that curb. I mean, you, there's just something about it because the front yard doesn't have a fence. Many times it's more alluring than the backyard. How is that natural principle likewise in spiritual ways? That the yard without the limitation of the boundaries is always the one that is more appealing. So they want to play in the front yard. You can play in the front yard as long as you don't step off the curb. Was that true freedom? To them, they didn't think so. They'll understand that true freedom always has restraints. What happens, Mike Trout, when I catch them stepping off the curb? You don't get to play in the backyard. You don't get to play in the front yard. You don't get to play in the side yard. You don't get... You coming in the house. Playtime's over. So because they wanted to flirt and dance with this little restraint out of the whole yard, 
got all this square footage and grass that they can mess around with, but they want to flirt with the borderline of the curb. And because of doing that, of wanting what they call true freedom, everything's ripped away from them, and now they can't enjoy no grass. True freedom is with restraints. There's two other tests. I really, I got to shut up. There's two other tests. I just said it plainly. Another test you want to ask yourself, does it edify? The same verse of scripture in 1 Corinthians 6, 12 is also seemingly found in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 that states these words. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient or profitable, okay, or beneficial. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Does it edify? What does it mean to edify? Does it build up? Does what you do build up or tear down? Does what you say build up or tear down? Does what you allow to come into your ears that you hear, does that build up or does it tear down? Because it's doing one of two things. It's either building you up or it's tearing you down. So does this thing edify? Number two, and I'll close with this, you may stand, and I've seen some people already started before I even said no. <laughs> Number two, does it glorify? Does it glorify? I'm not in a glorified body, but I can still glorify God in this body due to a perfect spirit. Does it glorify? 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 says, Wherefore, whether rather whether therefore there it is I put them together and got wherefore I guess whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do do all to the glory of God so what are you about ready to do in your life is it lawful if it is is it beneficial is it profitable? Is there a general principle in Scripture where there may not be the exact verbiage, you know, the way that you have it pres presumed in your mind the way it should be? Is there some principle there and guideline that can instruct a general conduct for your life? Is this something that may have the upper hand in your life and become your master rather than your servant? Does it edify? Does it build up? Lastly, if what you're about ready to do or a decision you're going to make, action, inaction, whatever it is, does it glorify? Does it glorify God? Now, please, I don't want to be largely misunderstood. Someone's getting ner nervous, you know, on Saturday because the big game's coming up and they're thinking, is it lawful? You know, you already had your hour and a half prayer in the morning and you prayed and you read your Bible and you said, is it lawful? Oh, Lord, is this going to glorify the Master? Now, here comes one of those case in points of having to write every single little detail down. Get the flavor of what's being said here tonight. Get the flavor of what's being said. All right? Everybody with me on that one? 
I don't have time to write a manual like that, nor would I want to. And it's not even, it's not necessary. Brother Mason and I have talked before. We talked before we have a music manual and stuff to be on this platform, so on and so forth. And here and there along the way, we've added a few things, so on and so forth. And we have talked among ourselves before. You know, if we're going to try to add every little angle and every little thing in there, you guys are going to be getting a manual as big as a family Bible, no doubt, without pictures. Yeah. We can't do that. Because we're showing a, 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 a position of maturity whenever you've got to start of all these different angles and you got you know you got to make sure the fence goes down all the way you know to the grass and make sure it goes up to the clouds you know because when it comes down to it's not about it's not about rules and regulations and this freedom in Christ is about Christ in Christ it's about a relationship that's where it all comes about it's all about a relationship it's about a relationship it's about a relationship it's about being pleasing to God so whenever I want to be pleasing to God, I want to edify. When I want to be pleasing to God, I want to glorify Him. When I want to be pleasing to God, I want things to come into my life. That's not going to be a liability, but an asset. Because guarantee this, anything you do in your life and whoever you allow come into your life are going to be one of two things. They're going to be a liability or an asset. Young people, whoever you marry, listen to pastor right now. Whoever you marry, they're going to be one of two things to you. They're going to be a liability or an asset there is no middle of the road hear me there is no middle of the road it's liability or asset count the cost now count the cost now let's bow our heads in this place today the principle of freedom is that true freedom is with constraints hallelujah Jesus I love you right now church can we pray Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.